0: Welcome to Faith Life 365 This is episode number 30. Now, if you've missed any of the past episodes, please go back and get caught up with us. I uh, can do that by going to www.faithlife365.org. Uh, we have uh, videos on Rumble and YouTube. Uh, you also uh, podcast on Podbean and uh, other places, and you can also click the link for the blog if you prefer to read. Uh, now, in this episode... We're going to continue talking about the end times, Uh, so let's uh, say a prayer here and jump right in and get started today. Father God, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to read and study your word. Be with us today. Father, open our eyes that we may see and our ears that we may hear. Give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, all right. We're going to jump in, and uh, let's look at uh, where we left off in episode 29 Uh, in episode 29 we read from the book of revelation and talked about the seven seals the seven trumpets the seven plagues the seven bowls of wrath of god that are to be loosed on the earth Uh, we discussed there what jesus said about his returning for the church Uh, when the son of man returns it'll be like it was in noah's day and in those days the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And uh, the world was as it uh, w- or the world uh, will be as it was in the days of Lot, we talked about. And people went about their daily business. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building uh, until the morning that Lot left Sodom. And, and then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So, yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When, uh, when you hear what it's going to be like during the final seven years of tribulation, uh, does that sound like business as usual? Does it sound like it'll just be another day in the office, another day in the field plowing, banquets, parties, and weddings? No, certainly it does not. Uh, there'll be death, destruction, murder, violence, earthquakes, fires. Uh, a third of the sea uh, is turned to blood. A third of the ship's destroyed. And, and we're just getting started. Uh, and it continues to get worse. So in addition, uh, we talked about the God's wrath being poured out on the earth. The Antichrist is going to be persecuting those who refuse to take his mark and to serve him. Uh, there will be no business as usual during these times. It's going to be a, a horrific time to be living in. Um, you know, In the days of Noah and Lot, life was normal for everyone until the day God closed the doors on the ark And the rain began to fall, destroying the earth by flood. And in the days of Lot, uh, when he left Sodom, it it was suddenly destroyed with fire and brimstone falling from the heavens. But right up until the rain started falling and the fire and brimstone started falling, it was life as normal. And Jesus said that's how it's going to be right before the church is taken, is raptured up, is called away. Now, It's hard to read Jesus' description of how things will be right before the church is raptured and fathom how the rapture of the church could take place at the end of the tribulation. Now, maybe I can possibly understand an argument of the rapture happening before the three-and-a-half-year mark, uh, but certainly not at the end of the tribulation. But I want to continue uh, discussing the rapture of the church and why I believe that the Bible tells us the church will not be here for the tribulation period, and in in the last uh, episodes, I, I wanted to say because in in the studies and and research, uh, you know, there's, there's several people that I have uh, listened to and followed and read and studied uh, their works, but um, I, I don't know any of these people. Uh, uh, they are ministers and pastors, and there's there's many many different ones out there, but there is I don't know if we can see, but. Uh, Dr. David De- Jeremiah has a book out, the Book of Signs. You know, if you get a chance, read read this book. Now, I, this I get nothing out of this. I don't know anything, and I'm not trying to plug for money or anything of that nature. But I'm just giving you some resources. Um, uh, Jimmy Evans, uh, pastor, and uh, he's always been known mostly as a marriage uh, uh, with his marriage site. I think it's Exo Marriage, I, I believe, and it's do, I think it's dot com or dot org. I, I should have better studied up on you for that. But if you look up, he has a book called uh, Tipping Point, and um, I'm hoping these are getting captured correctly. But uh, The End is Here. It's called uh, Tipping Point. The End is Here by uh, Jimmy Evans. These these books are very good and other resources they have. And, and I'll try to mention some other ones and places to go look and see um, that, that you can read and gain uh, a lot deeper and better information that I'm able to give you in this short period of time. But anyway, uh, so let's let's continue discussing the rapture of the church now. And uh, in Revelation chapter 19, verse uh, 7 through 9 of the New Living Translation, "...let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear." For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. In Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16 of the English Standard Version, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords." And in Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, um, this is describing the church. It's describing the bride. See, we, the church, are clothed in pure white linen. Uh, Revelation 19:11 through 16, is describing the second coming of Jesus. This isn't describing him coming in a flash of lightning or the twinkling of an eye. He's coming in full glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming to defeat Satan and the armies of the earth and to rule for a thousand years. See, we the church are the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen. Uh, we're following him. On white horses. We were taking up or taken up in the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation and are returning with Jesus in the clouds. Now why do I believe this? Let's look at first Thessalonians chapter one verses nine through ten. This is the English Standard Version. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Revelation uh, 6.15, this is the New Living Translation. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Revelation 16, verse 1, this English Standard then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 and 10 clearly states that Jesus delivers though, those who uh, truly serve the living God from the wrath to come. In Revelation six fifteen and 16, 1, it's clear that that it is the wrath of God that is being poured out upon the earth during the tribulation period. See, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as being like ten bridesmaids preparing to attend a wedding. Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. He also tells us how he is going away to prepare a place for us in his father's house. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 and 3, and this is the New Living Translation. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop. Buy some oil for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside, calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 of the New King James Version, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. John 14, verses 1-3 through of the English Standard Version. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, as we read these scriptures, uh, we need to read them as if we were living in the times of Uh, of Jesus, uh, the times that he was ministering. See, if we read these scriptures, thinking of our modern-day Western culture, we'll miss the significance of what Jesus is telling us. If we look at the words of Jesus as a Jewish man would have understood them at the time that Jesus was teaching, we can better understand the significance of the comparisons that he was uh, making to a wedding. See, in those days, a Jewish wedding would bear no resemblance to our modern-day Western culture weddings. Uh, let's, let's look at how a Jewish wedding took place in the times of Jesus uh, while he was on the earth. Now, first, the father would choose a bride for the son. The son did not choose his own bride. And once this was done, arrangements would be made to begin the marriage. Now, the father would pay a price to the bride's family. The custom considered that the groom and his family were gaining an asset and the bride's family was losing one. This was called a mohar, M O H A R. Now, the price that was paid was to reflect honor, integrity, uh, and stature of the groom's father. See, a, a wedding agreement would be made, and this was called a ketubah, as K E T U B A H. So, when the terms of the ketubah were made and accepted, a cup of wine was shared between the bride and the groom to seal the marriage covenant. Now, when the cup of wine was presented, the bride had the choice of accepting or refusing the agreement. So if she refused the cup of wine, the agreement was off and there was no marriage. If the bride accepted and drank of the cup of wine, the covenant was sealed and she was then betrothed to the groom. So the groom would then leave the bride and go back to his father's house to build a home uh, for he and his his bride. So, And, and their home oftentimes it was just another room. It was an extension on the father's house, or it may be a separate house, but it was on the same property right by the father's house. And so this often, it would take up to a year. Now, the father would decide when the son had made proper arrangements for the marriage. Now, the father's honor was at stake. So neither the bride nor the groom knew when the father would say to the groom, go get your bride. So they both had to be ready at at any moment. Now, while the groom was building and preparing uh, the home, the bride lived with her parents, and she, too, was making necessary preparations. So she had to remain ready at all times for the bridegroom to come. She and her bridesmaids, they would sleep in their wedding garments with their oil lamps ready to go out for the wedding at any hour. And when the father decided that everything was in proper order, he would have the shofars blown and send out word that the wedding was about to happen. Now, typically, someone from the groom's party would lead the way to the bride's house shouting, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And the father would tell his son, Go get your bride. And it was also uh, customary. And I say customary because I've, I've, I've read different varying reports on this. Um, some say it was customary that this would happen at night. It would often happen at night. And then others are saying that it, that it was unusual that in the case that Jesus was speaking, that it happened at night. So anyway, when the bride uh, got the word, she would rush out to meet the groom, and they would go back to the groom's father's house for the wedding ceremony. And at that point, the wedding would be consummated, and a second cup of wine would be shared, and that completed the ketubah. There would be a marriage supper or a wedding feast, and this marriage uh, celebration uh, included close family and friends, And this celebration uh, customarily went on for seven days. Now, see, if we, uh, this wedding custom, if we look at it and think of it in the terms of how that happened and what the scriptures tell us, what Jesus is saying, uh, this helps explain much of what Jesus is telling us. So Jesus is the bridegroom, and we Christians, the church, are the bride. Now, we were chosen by the Father for the son. No one knows but the Father the day or the hour that the Son will return for his bride. See, we the church must be ready. We must be prepared and always watching for his return. The ultimate price was paid for us, the bride, by the groom and the Father. The Father sacrificed his only begotten son and the Son willingly laid down his life for us. A new covenant, a wedding agreement has been offered to each of us as the bride. Of Jesus Christ, the cup of wine has pres- been presented to each of us. See if we accept and we drink of the cup of the living water. We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We receive the gift of eternal life. We become recreated spirits in Christ Jesus. See, we are betrothed to the bridegroom. Jesus told us, "In my Father's house are many rooms." Some some versions of King James says many mansions would be translated uh, to rooms um from the uh, Greek if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may be also the bridegroom has gone to prepare our home and he will return for us the bride when when will he return that's the big question right when the Father tells him, it is time. Therefore, Jesus, nor the angels of heaven, or no one else knows, only the Father knows when he will say to Jesus, Go get your bride. Now, let's look even closer at what the Scriptures tell us about the rapture of the church and how it all works together. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 51-53 through 53 of the King James Version, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The first Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15-18 through 18 of the New Living Translation. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. See, notice... How the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, and with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The Apostle Paul is saying that the rapture of the church will take place at the last trump. Now, what does this mean? What last trump is he referring to? Well, if we go look in the book of Leviticus, the fifth feast of the Lord is called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is a two-day festival during which trumpets, or the shofar, are blown 100 times each day and often... The 30 days preceding the Feast of Trumpets. Now, this consists of 99 alternating short and long blasts of the shofar. The 100th and final blast of the shofar is the longest and is known as the last trump. And the shofar is the big ram's horn that, that they blow, the, the trumpets uh, that, are, that are blown. So, now the Feast of Trumpets typically occurs in the month of September or October on the Gregorian calendar, on our 365-day calendar. Now, this festival begins on the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, but it's also the first day of the new year on the Jewish calendar. So, the first day of Tishri is determined by the new moon. Now, this is believed to be the day that Adam and Eve were created. So, it was sometimes difficult uh, to see the crescent of the new moon. And in order to ensure the Feast of Trumpets was celebrated on the correct day, it is a 48-hour festival. Now, with our modern you know, way of, of calculating and doing and, and uh, being able to follow uh, our calendars and our time and space, uh, we know pretty much exactly when that crest is and when, when it's going to happen. But back in the day... They had to go by sight, and they had to see it. So they took a 48-hour festival to ensure that they had the festival and the trumpets sounding at during that time. So it begins at sundown on the first day of the expected new moon, and it ends at sunset on the third day, or approximately 48 hours later. So in Leviticus chapter 23 Um, of the uh, English Standard Version, uh, verses 23 through 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now, let's look at some of the other names that the Jewish people associate with the Feast of Trumpets. Now today, this feast is most popularly known uh, as Rosh Hashanah, which translates from Hebrew to mean head of the year. But other names include Yom Terah, T-E-R-U-A-H, which means day of awakening blast. It's the Jewish belief that the resurrection of the dead will occur on the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Yom Hayden, which means day of judgment. It is Jewish belief that God opens the books on that day and judges the righteous and the wicked according to what they had done. Yom Hamelech, which means the day of the coronation of the king. Yom Zikaron, which means day of remembrance. It's Jewish belief that this is a day on which the chosen people remember God and God remembers them. Yom Hakasha, which means the hidden day it was a hidden day because they didn't know the exact day it would begin due to the fact that uh, it is the only feast that starts on a new moon. Therefore, it was the two-day feast so as not to celebrate it on the wrong day. So the Jewish people would often refer to this as, of that day and hour, no one knows. Does that sound familiar? Now, uh, I I may have hacked up the uh, pronunciation of some of those, and I apologize uh, to anyone of, of uh, Jewish descent who knows how to properly say them. But um, remember the words of Jesus speaking of the rapture of the church in Matthew twenty four thirty six. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Uh, if we continue looking, it's also known as the opening of the gates of heaven. It is Jewish belief that the gates of heaven are opened on Rosh Hashanah, so the righteous nation may enter. It's also known as the wedding of Messiah. It is Jewish belief that the blowing of the heavenly trumpet is a call for the entire true bride of God to assemble together. So, you know, with this, I just kind of, it's like, wow. You know, just wow. Um, if If you look at this festival, and and now compare it to what Jesus was saying. So was Jesus and the Apostle Paul clearly telling us, uh, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, that the rapture of the church will occur during the Feast of Trumpets at the last trump? It would seem that that lines up perfectly. Now, we don't know this to be fact, but it certainly does fit in nicely. Now, Let's look at the book of Leviticus and quickly look at all the feasts of the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4, English Standard Version, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord and the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. The word feast means festival. And one of the meanings for the word convocations is dress rehearsals. Now, there are a total of seven feasts, four in the spring and three in the fall. Now, these feasts are convocations, dress rehearsals, are rehearsals for future events. So let's look at each feast or festival and see if the events of each festival have come to pass. Now, I'm not going to read the scripture for each feast. I'll cover each of them in the order listed. Now, the first feast is the feast of Passover. The Passover feast appointed uh, to the Messiah as, or appointed to the Messiah as as our Passover Lamb. Jesus was crucified and died on the cross during the Feast of Passover in 32 A.D., the very day and hour that the Israelites in Egypt would have been slaughtering lambs for the Passover meal and putting the blood on their their doorpost. And this dress rehearsal event was fulfilled as Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, leaven represents sin. Jesus was buried during this feast. The Jewish people... Couldn't eat leaven for seven days. Seven is the number of perfection. And Jesus perfectly removed sin and was in the process of death prior to his resurrection, of going down and defeating death, hell, and the grave and taking the keys to hell as he defeated Satan and prated him around uh, for our sin to perfectly remove it. This dress rehearsal event has been fulfilled. The third feast... Is the Feast of First Fruits. Now, Jesus was resurrected the very day of First Fruits. So, Jesus is the first fruits of many brethren. In 1 Corinthians 15 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This dress rehearsal event has been fulfilled. It's, It's amazing, really. The fourth feast is the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after the first fruits is the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty is the number of perfection, completion, freedom, and fullness. It's the Jubilee number. The Holy Spirit fell on the upper room during the Feast of Pentecost. The church was established on this day. God poured out his Holy Spirit on the disciples, and about 3,000 were saved and baptized after hearing the Apostle Peter preach the word. This dress rehearsal event has been fulfilled to the day, in order, in line. So the first four feasts have been fulfilled, according to the Scripture, to the day and in order. There are three feasts left uh, to be fulfilled. Now these three feasts all occur in the fall and in the seventh Jewish month of Tishri. The fifth feast is the Feast of Trumpets. So we've discussed this feast in detail. This dress rehearsal event has not yet been fulfilled. The sixth feast is the Feast of Atonement. It's believed that this feast points to the second coming of Jesus when he returns to the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. This dress rehearsal event has not been fulfilled. The seventh feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this seventh feast is a seven-day feast which occurs in the seventh month. The number 777 stands for perfection, this feast points to, or points us uh, to, spending an eternity with God. So the Lord promised that He would once again tabernacle with His people when He returns to reign over all the world during the millennium. This dress rehearsal event has not yet been fulfilled. We await. Now I don't know about you, but I believe. The Word of God has painted us a very clear picture if we open our eyes to see it. Jesus, uh, referring to the rapture of the church, said, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. The Apostle Paul, also referring to the rapture of the church, said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He also said, We tell you this directly from the Lord. Who, uh, we who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from the heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. The feast of trumpets fits the word and the end times prophecies perfectly. For the rapture of the church, the other feast also fit the word and the end time prophecies perfectly. Now... I really, really hate to stop here, but unfortunately, that's all for this episode. I want you to join me in episode 31 as we continue to talk about end time prophecies. Uh, just some, this stuff is amazing uh, as as it's falling in place, and and uh, uh, well, wow. join me for more. Now we're going to pick up right here where we left off. I want to thank you for listening. May God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and we live the faith life 365 days per year.